Is this really the ninth inning of the pandemic? Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com, and Jeremy Wallace, the ace reporter at the Houston Chronicle, who covers politics in Texas from all the way up to the Red River, all the way down to the Rio Grande, all the way from Beaumont to El Paso, wherever the news is happening, I find this man. But today, he is back in Austin. Hello, sir. Oh, how are you doing? You, you sound uh, a little exhausted. We're we're all still yes. coming out of the post-election hangover. That's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah that and is we're, definite. And and what's really um, becoming clear is that unlike some predictions that had been made, the pandemic didn't just disappear the day after the election. Am I <laughs> off base with that? We, no. If you know, anything, we, we've seen the pandemic uh, come back with a little bit of a vengeance in the last thirty days, right? Abs- absolutely. And you're always keeping track of the numbers. What does it look like right now for hospitalizations, cases, and things like that? I saw you were tweeting some stuff out. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty rough. You know, it's like we just hit. You know, we're just about at eight thousand hospitalizations. We'll probably hit that number today. Uh, mm-hmm. To put that in perspective, that's where we were at the beginning of August. You know, you know, before we started to seemingly have. You know, things get a little bit more under control. But in this case, we're back up over 8,000. We hit 20,000 deaths, uh, which is, you know, really excruciating when you consider that, you know, uh, that's, you know, I can't remember exactly how many, but I think we were like around 6,800 at mm-hmm. the start of August. So you see you know, a lot of Texans have lost their lives since mm-hmm. August 1st, and hospitalizations are on the upswing. And, you can see that in where, you know, particularly in places like Amarillo and El Paso and Lubbock, uh, you know, even in some other areas, we're now starting to see the deaths really kind of creep up in uh, places along the border again, you know, in, in Laredo. And yep. uh, we just saw Smith County, you know, so, you know, the, the number of deaths there certainly, you know, rise up too. So it's really all over the state right now. So it's just kind of hard to pinpoint exactly where. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's everywhere. Well, and this had been predicted, right? That as we yep. as we go into the end of the year, as we head into the winter months, and people are doing more things indoors, um, you and this will be even more pronounced on places on the East Coast where it gets a lot colder than it does here. But um, the virus and a virus like this tends to thrive in the colder weather. And so it's not like this should be a surprise to anyone. Now, there are some positive developments to tell you about. Uh, Governor Abbott was asked on the Mark Davis show in Dallas on 660 AM, the answer about this spike in cases and whether there are going to be any new restrictions uh, put in place by his office because of what we see developing with the virus. Listen, there is a spike right now, but the, the way to handle this uh, is the same way that we handled the spike in July, and that is everybody following the best practices. That said, the 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 solution to all of this that the president had been talking about for so long uh, is now at our threshold. Beginning next week, we will begin to distribute, not hope to get, not not hope that we receive, but we will begin to distribute these therapeutic drugs, like the drug the president took, to quickly overcome COVID. Uh, the first one that's been released uh, is the one made by Eli Lilly. Uh, the second one that we will be getting, uh, hopefully soon thereafter, is going to be the Regeneron drug, which was the exact therapeutic drug that the president took. You saw how quickly he was able to overcome COVID, get back out of the campaign trail, and campaign vigorously day after day in inclement weather. So it shows how effective these drugs are. We receive them 
over the weekend. We will begin distributing them next week. And that is before we even begin to receive these vaccines that will uh, be arriving uh, in Texas later on this month. Abbott also talked about those vaccines and those various treatments, but as far as any new government action, it is not happening on his watch. Now, the only thing I can tell you is we are not going to have any more lockdowns in the state of Texas. Our focal point is going to be uh, working to heal those who have COVID, uh, get them out of hospitals quickly, uh, make sure they get back to their normal lives. We, we now have the tools, whether it be doing what we're doing in El Paso, Texas, where we are surging medical supplies, we are surging uh, hospital beds and things like that. And we've seen some results out of El Paso that some people may have been paying, paying attention to, and that is uh, the, the number of people who tested positive yesterday was about half of what it was about a week ago. And so all the right things are taking place, and we just need to continue to do all the safe practices uh, as uh, we await the arrival of these vaccines and treatments. I, I know it's so hard for people's brains to process that, the, that these treatments really are here and these treatments really will work and that this is the ninth inning of our challenge with COVID. The ninth inning. That's when people start to leave the ballpark because the game is over. And in fact, maybe they started to leave before that, Jeremy, because maybe it wasn't a close game. Uh, Governor Abbott this afternoon in Lubbock at a news conference there started out by saying, quote, we're engaged in a war. That doesn't sound like the end of the ball game. That doesn't sound like, you know, people need to let, let up their guard. And I was watching that news conference uh, live streamed out of Lubbock this afternoon. And the doctors who are there with Abbott, including uh, John Zerwas, who's a former appropriations chairman in the Texas House, who's a doctor from the Houston area, uh, and also Dr. John Hellerstead, who oversees, you know, the health response of health agencies here in Texas. Um, they were saying that people need to stay vigilant. Nowhere near the end of this thing. Now, I think that the tone of the governor there on a conservative radio talk show is going to be a little bit different from what he would say in a news conference, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, with, with a little bit uh, more mainstream audience that he's talking to and, and the doctors are talking to a more mainstream audience at that news conference, um, who are they speaking to when they want everyone to think that this is basically over with? Well, it's the Republican base, right? It's the Trump base. And um, that might seem obvious, um, but I do think that it's worth underscoring that after November 3rd in Texas, what I'm about to say remains true as it has ever been. And there are going to be some shifts, uh, you know, going forward in Texas elections. You have talked about the blue spine and everything like that, and, and accurately so. Um, however, I think the way that Republican officeholders view it is this. The election of consequence in Texas remains the Republican primary. So that's who they're speaking to. And there's been all of this uh, noise about whether certain folks, including the Republican Party chairman, Alan West, or maybe Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, might run against Governor Abbott if he indeed runs for another term uh, as governor. And he has said that he will. And he's even said that he might look at running for president after that in 2024. Here's what Senator Ted Cruz is saying about all this. I mean, if you want to take the temperature of where the Republican base is, I would listen to Patrick, Cruz, Trump, etc. Did you see on the U.S. Senate floor where there was a little argument about whether they should have to wear masks? Oh, yeah. Uh, Definitely it, <laughs> caught that. Yep. Yes. Cruz said it was idiotic when Sherrod Brown, who's a Democratic senator, uh, was insisting on not only wearing a mask himself while he was speaking, uh, but uh, Cruz called him quote, a complete ass 
because he was asking people to wear masks uh, when no one was around him. Here's uh, the quote from Cruz on Twitter. He said that Brown's activity, his uh, his insistence on masks uh, of other senators is, quote, an ostentatious sign of fake virtue, unquote. Some people thought it was funny for Cruz to be accusing anybody of virtue signaling. Uh, Dan Sullivan is another senator who was on the floor, and Cruz pointed out that Sullivan was 50 feet away presiding over the Senate, uh, you know, in the in the Senate chair. And Cruz said, last I checked, 50 feet is more than six feet away. So here's exactly what happened. You're, you're, you're going to hear the floor proceedings here. You're going to hear the GOP leader, Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, followed by Senator Sullivan. And then you'll hear Sherrod Brown very upset with others in the Senate because they're just refusing to mask up. So if there's no further business to come before the Senate, I ask to stand adjourned under the previous order following the remarks of Senator Brown. Without objection. President. Senator from Ohio. I'd start by asking the presiding officer to please wear a mask as he speaks and people below him are, I can't tell you what to do, but I know that the behavior. I don't wear a mask when I'm speaking, like most senators. Well, I, most senators. So I'll, I'll on, but I don't need your instruction from. Anyone. I know you don't need my instruction, but I, there clearly isn't much interest in this body in public health. We have a president who hasn't shown up at the coronavirus task force meeting in months. We have a majority leader that calls us back here to vote on an unqualified nominee and, and at the same time to vote for judge after judge after judge, exposing all the people who can't say anything, I understand, the people in front of you and the presiding officer, and expose all the staff here, and the, the majority leader just doesn't seem to care. So Cruz says that Brown is being an idiot for, uh, he says, quote, complete ass for saying all of that. It's the same Ted Cruz who goes out of his way to avoid wearing a mask when he's talking to journalists at the Capitol. Here, and you have to listen closely to this. Uh, a TV reporter was asking him about whether he would wear a mask while being interviewed just outside the Senate chamber and listen to what Cruz has to say to that. No, because I'm going to talk to the TV. So you can stay, we can stand six feet apart, which is what the CDC guideline is. He says, no, Jeremy, I, I'm not going to wear a mask. We're, we're six feet apart. That's what the CDC guideline is. Um, Senator Cruz is going out of his way to make some prominent points for people about his objection to having to wear the mask. If anybody thought that the politics of all this would be over, after November 3rd, they were wrong. I would also remind people that this is the same Senator Cruz who made this bold prediction before the election. You know, an interesting thing, if it, if it ends up that Biden wins in November, I hope he doesn't. I don't think he will. But if he does, I guarantee you the week after the election, suddenly all those Democratic governors, all those Democratic mayors will say, Everything's magically better. Go back to work. Go back to school. Suddenly the problems are solved. You won't even have to wait for Biden to be sworn in. You won't. <laughs> you won't have to wait for that. Uh, no, the, the problem continues. It's probably uh, as bad or worse than it's ever been in certain parts of the country. Uh, and we see local governments, state governments continue to grapple with this. And, you know, we even have questions, Jeremy, about how the legislative session is going to proceed in Austin. We don't know that. They haven't been able to uh, put together 
together, uh, you know, even a couple of meetings of lawmakers uh, so far. Different legislative hearings have not happened. Uh, something called the Sunset Commission, which includes lawmakers, uh, they scheduled a meeting and then they had to cancel it, quote, due to COVID. And they say that they'll try again in December. Uh, as we were reporting on that, we were trying to figure out why uh, this meeting had been canceled. And uh, the only message you get back from uh, from certain folks was, well, blanking COVID, you know, because we, we didn't have any uh, reports of lawmakers testing positive, but we had uh, reports that they had been, quote unquote, exposed. So this is continuing to uh, impact the way government operates and the way business operates. But everything I hear from Governor Abbott in saying that we're not going to have any shutdowns and everything I hear from Cruz loudly objecting to masks and still sort of acting like, you know, at least part of this is some kind of a hoax. Um and he hasn't used the word hoax, or at least I didn't hear him uh, say that recently. Uh, but it still seems to be playing to this same Trump base, which all of these Republicans are still beholden to. And one of the questions is, how long does that last? I mean, you have the president uh, refusing to concede. Uh, you had John Cornyn this afternoon say that he wouldn't call Joe Biden president-elect just yet because they have to go through all of the legal proceedings of the different lawsuits that have been filed by the Trump administration. Uh, but for Republican officeholders at this moment in history, they still have to deal with the Trump base, which is fully integrated into the GOP base. There's no difference yep. between the two. Yeah, and if you look at like you know anybody who has a political future or thinks they have a political future in the Republican Party has to figure out how to uh, appeal to that base of Trump supporters. And I think what you're hearing in in Cruz and in Cornyn and you know all kinds of Republicans is that even when Trump is gone, they know they're going to have to find a way to co coexist with this uh, this part of the Republican Party now. It, like you said, it is now baked into. What it means to be a Republican. So you you know you better be respectful to President Trump. You better not like go you know cross him too often, or you'll feel it. You see that even like even guys like you know uh, Dan Crenshaw, the Houston congressman, mm -hmm. uh, he's he's gone up against you know Trump at times, and he's just taken you know heat you know from you know Trump supporters who are just like you know stop you know it's just like and so there's going to be that constant battle I think going forward. Uh, but but you, you hit on a good point though. But you know because of the confusion over not having a national kind of consensus and what it means to wear a mask and why mm -hmm. you see all that confusion out there, right? You know yeah. it's like you know why people wear masks when they wear. You see people driving by themselves in a car wearing a mask. You <laughs> when see you people, don't need to do it. Yeah, yeah, right. It's when other people are around. That's the yeah, whole exactly. Point. You know, I was in New York City not too long ago, and and I, you know, it was kind of interesting to see, like, you know, in the subways, everybody had a mask, and everybody mm -hmm. was separated and spread out. They, yeah. it, it felt like they were kind of like understanding kind of how to be. But then you see other times when like people are just clumped together, you know, for no good reason, you know, and you're like, okay, you're just spreading this illness. So I think the confusion about when to wear a mask and, you know, how much space. And Ted Cruz is probably right. If you have 50 feet of space, you probably don't need a mask. Mm. But Brown is also right in that, like, as senators, they need to kind of be projecting this image of making sure people realize that mask is a common, normal thing and it's okay to wear mm. them and not to have pushback. Yeah, maybe leading by example. Um, yeah. the, the FBI, it was confirmed this week, is investigating allegations that Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton broke the law in using his office to benefit a wealthy donor, according to two people with knowledge of the probe, that from the Associated 
Associated Press uh, report a couple of days ago, federal agents now looking into claims by former members of Paxton staff that the high-profile Republican committed bribery, abuse of office, and other crimes to help an Austin real estate developer by the name of Nate Paul, those unnamed sources told the Associated Press. Now, we have talked about this a little bit on the show. Um, It is an eye-popping headline when you see the FBI investigating the top law enforcement official in the state of Texas. It was pointed out to me that it, of course, is not a new thing for the Texas Attorney General, whoever it is, to be indicted for something. There was an old statement. <laughs> there was an old. There was an old axiom in Texas: if you ain't if you ain't indicted, you ain't invited. Um, with this uh, Attorney General, his issues, and he has had no success, I don't think, so far in trying to argue that this is some kind of liberal conspiracy, deep state thing. And the big reason for that is that the people accusing him now of crimes, potential crimes, abuse of office and bribery and all this. It's very conservative former top staffers in his office who said this, right? It would be like if the people closest to Trump in his own administration were accusing him of some sort of crimes, right? He couldn't say it was the quote unquote deep state. It also came to light during uh, some of the other reporting on this in one of the depositions about this legal matter uh, that Paxton also is allegedly having an affair. Uh, Paxton, who is married to a state senator, Angela Paxton from Collin County, um, he uh, is said to have had this extramarital affair. And somehow this woman that he was having an affair with, allegedly, uh, was either given a job by this real estate developer and then Paxton did favors for the real estate developer because he was taking care of his mistress and all of this. It's, it's the same kind of scandal we always hear about, Jeremy, where there's all these crazy details and you need, you know, one of those, I say it all the time, but you need one of those court boards with the people's pictures and the strings of yarn between the pictures to figure out how each person is connected. A big problem uh, for, for him personally, right? A problem for the state of Texas to have a very important agency. It's hard to overstate how important the attorney general's office is, uh, you know, to average Texans. Um, you know, folks might not think of it that way, but it's the office that oversees child support payments. It's yep. the office that represents the state, you know, in various legal matters, uh, you know, in in fighting the federal government about uh, the way our health care is regulated and all this sort of stuff. I mean, it's, it's a crucial office. Uh, and to have it embroiled in these kind of problems is just not good, uh, you know, just broadly not good. And then specifically for Paxton, a little bit less specifically for the Republican Party. Although, and and this is something that's under the radar, but it seemed to me that before the election, when it seemed like Democrats might make up some more ground here, take some seats in the Texas House and maybe win some congressional seats, you know, really win some elections in Texas, it seemed like there was more chatter about maybe Republicans might do something to kind of move Ken Paxton toward, you know, quitting his office, resigning, you know, exiting stage right or whatever. And now that the election is over, I don't hear as much of that chatter. It's almost as if, you know, Republicans, you know, they had to pay the price of paying a lot of money to win their reelections because they spent a lot of cash, millions and millions of dollars to hold the ground on what they had. But now that they've done that, it doesn't seem like this is as much of a big fire they have to put out immediately, Jeremy. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It depends on like timing, right? You mm-hmm. know, it's like you're looking at you know 2022. It's like this has the potential of giving you know Democrats uh, a, a corruption 
platform to run against. You know, it's like, you know, let's clean this place up, look at this corruption. And the thing is, like, you, you know, some of these things, are, you know, get complicated to try to explain to voters what is happening. But in this case, you know, it's not that complicated of a story. You know, it's mm-hmm. like if you can say, you know, you know, you know, there's an affair, you know, you know, favors for, you know, you know, getting somebody, you know, you know, in, in a, into a job. Those mm-hmm. things are not so hard and not so complicated to right. kind of turn into a mm-hmm. weapon uh, to be used in a political year. And, and you know, let's think and let's look at this. Remember, like Democrats are still uh, it's a reinvigorated party, certainly from what we're used to seeing. You know, this is still it's not like Ken Paxton won by a landslide in his last race. He barely got through that right. last race. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to have this like hanging over him as well as we may be faced, you know, people like, you know, who knows who's running, you know, in 2022 for, for Democrats, but I'm assuming, mm-hmm. you know, Beto O'Rourke, at least one Castro, maybe two, <laughs> you know, it's like, who knows, you know, what kind of, you know, political atmosphere it's going to be, but man, corruption is the one thing that can kind of unite a lot of voters against a candidate. And mm-hmm. this is one that seems like this is bound to be a problem for Paxton, as we get closer to 2022, if you can't get this resolved quickly. Yeah, and it seems to me that Democrats have had a really tough time taking uh, this issue and tagging other Republicans with it. Um, yeah. You know, because a lot of times, uh, and we've seen this over the years, uh, where somebody in a particular political party is accused of corruption, it seems very obvious on its face that the person is corrupt. In this case, you have his own top staffers accusing him of it. Um, and yet that didn't seem to blow back on any Republicans in their elections, maybe yeah. with the exception of uh, some uh, state house candidates in Collin County who were close to Ken Paxton, who at least had to defend against that charge and, you know, make, uh, make some, you know, mount some defense against it. But that's it. Um, and it certainly didn't cost anybody their office. Did you see Matthew McConaughey interviewed by Hugh Hewitt the other day, the conservative talk show host? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they were talking about a broad range of topics. Main thing is uh, McConaughey is selling his book, right? It's about the green lights, and I won't get into that whole thing, but it's a New York Times bestseller, and he's been uh, interviewed all over the place about it, all of these shows. They love to have uh, Matthew McConaughey on there, the the rom-com star, the sex symbol. You know, right? And he's the ambassador for which products now? Uh, Wild Turkey and, and Lincoln. And Lincoln, yes. Um, well, Hugh Hewitt, I thought he did a nice job interviewing him. Most of his interviews are not any kind of a pop culture thing, I don't imagine. It's usually all political stuff. Uh, he asked McConaughey about being sort of center right in his politics. And Hewitt then sort of made the jump to saying, well, if you're sort of center right and you're from Texas, well, then it would make sense that you could be the governor down there, right? It, Hewitt kind of asserted that. And he asked uh, Matthew McConaughey if he had ever thought about running for anything. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that wouldn't be up to be up to the people more than it would me. I would say this. Look, politics seems to be a broken business to me right now. And when politics redefines its purpose, I could be a hell of a lot more interested. Yeah, uh, Hewitt also asked him what he could support and what he could really get out there and sell to Republicans and Democrats alike, who, you know, they would also, just in a broad sort of sense, that people from all political parties would support him on a certain issue. And listen carefully to the answer. Well, 
talked you know me i've talked to you about it before i'm i'm i i want to get behind personal values to rebind our social contracts with each other as americans as people again no yep. matter what side of the aisle on or as i said earlier denomination we have broken those social contracts we don't trust each other and that leads to us not trusting ourselves. which if that become if that becomes epidemic then we've got anarchy so I'm all for the individual, and I think it's for to make collective change that the individual needs to look in the mirror and say, how can I be a little bit better today? How can, I, how can the selfish decision I want to make for myself correlate and also be the decision that's best for the most amount of people? There is a place where that decision lives all the time. It's hard to get to, but there is a place to make the decision that's best for ourselves, but also be considerate of what that decision is for the most amount of people. Look, so, coming out of the election right now, we got to stabilize. This country's got to stabilize first before we start to say, okay, here's how we're marching out of this together forward. What? What does he say? Uh, he, he asked. I forget the he, question, sir. Hewitt had, Hewitt had asked him what could Republicans and Democrats both support, and um, that was the answer to that. Now, when, um, when Arnold Schwarzenegger ran for governor out in California, did McConaughey have any kind of reaction to that? And did he think that maybe, based on that model of doing things, I mean, if the Terminator can become, you know, the governor, why couldn't the guy from Dazed and Confused? No, I didn't have any. The, I remember my only reaction was, um, like with Jesse Ventura in, in Minnesota. I was like, different people from the entertainment industry. Clint, you know, Clint Eastwood had already been, I think, mayor before. Right. Um, but it was like, you know, I remember thinking this, um, you know, People going, oh, the Terminator is going to be president <laughs> or the Terminator is going to be the governor. And that was uh, I saw the power of of, of you know, uh, fame that, you know, and, 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 and I mean, look, but that's already a question. And, and this is not uh, speaking to how much I agreed or disagreed with Arnold Schwarzenegger's politics or not. But you look at president elect uh, that we just had uh, or President Trump. Look, people, a lot of people that I know on the, on, the, on the far left were in denial after he had become the president. And I remember saying, well, look, regardless of his politics, at the, in the very first, just the first question, what do we say in America is successful? What do we give credit and respect? Well, the top two things are money and fame. And I said, guys, just on a very base level, Trump has those. So I don't know why he should be so surprised that he got elected. Now. Then came, you know, policies and the politics of the last four years, which have, have become, you know, you, you know more about him than just when he first came in as someone who was on TV and also had a lot of money. Um, but, yeah, I remember when Arnold came out and then seeing Ventura up there, I was like, oh, there's p- different people in the entertainment zeitgeist that are getting into politics. Um, you know, I still question how much you can really get done in politics. And I don't know if politics is my avenue to get what maybe I'm best equipped to get done. I will give him this, Jeremy. He does have, uh, Matthew McConaughey does have the politician's gift of saying a whole lot of words, but not really saying anything. <laughs> after he was done, after he was, I mean, you know, God bless you, Hewitt. That was kind of a painful interview. I'll, I'll say that. Um, uh, if, if, if you got done with all of that, could you really pin down what he had actually said? And beyond that, whether he would actually run for political office i don't think you could you, you you could it was like it'd be like uh as the old uh late great law professor gerald treese 
in Houston used to say is kind of like uh, nailing a jellyfish to a wall as far as anything that, that he said there. But I did see where so, to be sem- semi-serious about it for a second. Um, I did see some folks on social media immediately dismissing this out of hand. Like this can't happen. Um, you know, uh, Matthew McConaughey, that that's ridiculous. Uh, he could never be governor. He could never run for anything. But then I sit here and I tick off names, Ronald Reagan, yep, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Donald Trump, Jesse Ventura, who he mentioned there. It, there's, there's, there's always the thing of, and he, and he kind of said a version of this in the interview. There is a thing where people will underestimate those folks. Like they think that, oh, they, they don't have any experience in politics. They don't know how any of that stuff works. Um, when all politics is, is this has been joked about before, politics is just show business for ugly people. Yeah. So it, why could it not work for the, you know, for the Hollywood elite? Yeah, well, it's interesting because, like, you know, McConaughey, like, he's already kicked around the idea of politics. You can <laughs> see he's, you know, he's done some PSAs, you know, in Texas for various things. You know, he did oh, one yeah. for the attorney general's office. He did an anti-litter campaign just, a, you know, a few months ago. Uh, and, and and if you remember, in 2019, he, he came to the Senate floor uh, during, uh, you know, for like 20 minutes. He was just hanging out and schmoozing with politicians. Mm-hmm. When they, they were there for, you know, he was there for, uh, you know, celebrating Longview High School, mm-hmm. you know, winning a state championship in football uh you know he had, he's originally a graduate from longview high but uh so but, but you can see like he's very comfortable in that environment he's mm-hmm. comfortable talking with you know dan patrick and state senators and state sure. lawmakers so uh, he you can certainly get a sense that he's not intimidated by the the process and the people mm-hmm. he sees there so whether that means he could run for office or not you know big question but like you said you know, it's not like we've never seen somebody from show business move over. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, I'll throw in some other, you know, beautiful names. Remember, mm-hmm. Gopher from the Love Boat. You know, ah. he was a congressman. You know, Cooter <laughs> from Dukes of Hazard. Yes. He ended up in Congress. So it was like, you know, certainly lesser actors than he have certainly made their way into Congress and into uh, various roles. Well, we'll see what happens. I look forward to figuring out what all of the words in that interview actually meant. All right. We, are we doing a show next week? No, for two reasons. One, it's Thanksgiving. Two, it's my birthday. One week from today on Thanksgiving Day. And I like when it falls on Thanksgiving Day. I, I just like to pretend that the giant meal was prepared just for me. Yeah, perfect. I'm cool, I'm cool with that. And now that I'm you know, going to be 40 years old in a week, um, that's all I really want. I don't want any big gifts. People were asking me emailing and texting family and friends what do you want for your birthday i don't care do you care about what you get for your birthday anymore we're old men at this point yeah who who cares <laughs> I, I, honestly honestly and i mean this it, it sounds trite but i i mean it sincerely as i approach 40 years on the earth the only things that i really care about at all are success for my little girl carolyn I care about taking care of my employees at the quorum report and I care about good times with my friends and anything else is extra. All right. Now the plugs. If you enjoy the show, you know, you do, you should be a subscriber on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you subscribe, it just shows up automatically on your phone. You don't have to do anything. You should also subscribe at HoustonChronicle.com. That's where you can check out Jeremy's work each and every day. And for up-to-the-minute intelligence on what's happening in your state government, go to QuorumReport.com. Click subscriptions. We will get you all signed up, and we will see you here in December. 
Have a very happy Thanksgiving. No matter how you choose to uh, celebrate it this year, it is a strange, strange year for all of that. Mm -hmm.